So uh, happy April Fool's Day. <laughs> Can you believe that, that they would actually have April Fool's Day the same day as Resurrection Sunday? I mean, is that some kind of joke? My computer, my, my calendar on my computer actually gives it first billing. And, and I think, I'm thinking, like, who's behind that? You know, I mean, is that like a Facebook thing? Is that Zuckerberg again? You know, that he's getting paid for that? But you, you don't know how these things happen. But it it's kind of just seems weird. I mean, I'm not against April Fool's, right? Because April Fool's can be fun. How many of you kids have yet told your parents there's a spider on you? You ever try that one? That's a good one. Uh, the problem with it is as it goes on, it turns out being pranks, and the pranks can become mean or even destructive. Um, but basically, April Fool's is kind of fun. But it just doesn't seem as significant to me as celebrating the resurrection of the Son of God. I mean, it's make-believe versus reality. Of course, that raises, that raises an important question, which is, is the resurrection reality? Or is it just some kind of fantastic myth? There's an intriguing title to a sermon across town. One of the pastors picked out. He says, practical joke or prevailing promise. But you've missed that one. You're here. So... <laughs> But anyway, it's still interesting, isn't it? Um, usually at Easter time, we talk about that kind of stuff, though, don't we? We say, well, what's the evidence for the resurrection? There is a lot of evidence. There's tons of evidence. But I thought today we'd do something a little bit different and talk about one aspect, one part of evidence that's really important. In fact, I would say that practically speaking, this is the most important evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What we're going to talk about is the results of the resurrection. What were the results of the resurrection? Now stop and think about it. Lives were transformed. A church was born. And that church has stumbled and bumbled admittedly through the years. There's things that we're ashamed of and we're embarrassed by. And we look at ourselves in the mirror and we get a little embarrassed sometimes. But it's amazing what the church has accomplished. Probably, I think it's easy to argue, has done more good for mankind than any movement in history. And lives continue to be transformed, even among us, even in our church today. And that's powerful stuff. Jesus said something very interesting when he said about telling people about his faith. He didn't say, people are going to come to know the Lord because I resurrected. What he said was this. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. That inspired the old Christian folk song, They'll Know We're Christians by Our Love. By our love, they'll know we're Christians by our love. Remember that old song, some of you? So it's it, the whole idea. Thank you, I got a little applause there. Um, <laughs> but the whole idea is that people come to know Christ, not primarily by what somebody like me says on Sunday morning. Uh, they come to know Christ primarily by the people they're in relationship with. Because they see transformed lives. I mean, it happened to me most significantly when I was in college. And I met a group of people that were the most genuine, authentic, real people I'd ever met. They were passionate, they were earnest, but they were fun-loving. And I just couldn't get enough of them because I saw Jesus in their lives. And that really is the greatest, that's the greatest evidence of the resurrection. It's the result of the resurrection. 
And so we're going to talk about that today because we're in a series that we've been doing called The Walk, and we're not real creative, so we just went to the Bible and said the Bible says that we're to walk with God. So we say when we talk about our values, we have five main values, they all deal with walking with God. When we walk with God, we talk to him. That's prayer. When we walk with God, we listen to him primarily through Bible study. Those are two things. There are two kinds of people that we walk with besides God. There are those that are lost and don't know their way yet, and we call them the lost. They don't know their way to heaven, and we love the lost. We talked about that last week. And this week, we're going to talk about those people that are in our church family and how we love one another. Um, and that's our love for our church family. And next week, we'll talk about discipleship, how we put all those together and help train people to do those things in their lives, even as Jesus did. So today, we'll look primarily at this, this first topic, which is to uh, the topic of the day, love the church family. And I'm going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, because it's a great passage that talks about how the early church did it, and it's given as an example for us, as a description for us. We can look at it and say, ah, we should probably do the same thing. This is how it should probably work among us. So let me read that to you. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. So the first thing I see is that, especially in the beginning of that first verse, verse 42a we might say, is that they were devoted to doctrine. The idea is is that they were devoted, which is to say that they were steadfast. They were, I mean, this was serious business for them. They were very much, they clung on to what I'm calling doctrine, was basically teaching. They clung to the teaching that they were getting. And the teaching they were getting was coming from the apostles. And the apostles got their teaching from whom? Directly from Jesus, right? He was the one who taught them. He discipled them. And now they're turning around and they're teaching the people around them. So how does that apply to us? doesn't apply very well because how can we follow their teachings when they're all dead, right? Well, we can follow them because all of them, along with Paul, wrote what we call the New Testament of the Bible. And those are the teachings of the apostles. They're supernatural, as was the Old Testament. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all Scripture is inspired by God, or is God-breathed, literally. When it says it's God-breathed, that means that, in a sense, that from God took the pen that they were writing with, and just the Holy Spirit just flowed through that. God supernaturally flowed through that, and he used the different people. He used their different personalities, different writing styles, different backgrounds, different languages, but he read it as certain that what he wanted communicated was communicated. That was the understanding the Jewish people had about the Old Testament. And that's the understanding they had about the New. And what's really fascinating, if you read the Bible and carefully study it, you realize that there's a master editor involved. It all ties together, even though most of the writers didn't know each other. And it was written over centuries. And this book is more tight than most books you would read um, today in, in any situation. It all comes together. And there's no way to make sense of it. 
unless it's a supernatural work, which we believe it is. And so this Bible is really important. And so the Bible then becomes our, our guideline for, for how to live our lives. You know, a lot of leadership gurus today say that you need to have, for your, your organization, you need to have order. You need to have a mission, v- vision, values, and all that stuff. You need to get everything organized, right? Because if you don't, it won't work right. What if you went to work and, and your boss said, I, there's, no, there's really nothing. We don't have any mission, vision, and values. Just whatever you want. What would happen? How would your business succeed? Right? Well, we try to have mission, vision, and values. The difference is we base our mission, vision, and values on the Bible itself. Because we see the Bible gives us the guidelines for how to do that. The Bible is our absolute. Because if we don't have an absolute, everybody just lobbies for their own position. And who says your, better, your position is better than mine? And why is it wrong for somebody to go shoot up a school? If that's what they feel like doing, that's their reality. That's what they feel like doing. There's no absolute, so they can do whatever they want to do. Who's to say that's wrong? Who determines that? If there's no absolute. But there is an absolute. There is a God of the universe, and he says it's wrong. He says every life is valuable. And he says we should protect one another and take care of each other and value that. And where do we get that? We get that from the Bible. Thou shalt not kill. You start right there. And so there's, there's something that we can base life on. And it relates even to our relationships. I like um, Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. that says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. We use that a lot when we pray, but it relates actually to anything we do in life. When we line up ourselves with God, when we're going his way, it's not like, God, come to help us and we'll tell you what we want you to do. It's more like, what are you doing and how can I join you? Because he's the boss. He's God. He's in control. And we can go to the Bible and we can check, am I doing this properly? The Bible guides us on how to love one another. The Bible guides us on how to encourage each other. It gives us guidelines on how to forgive. It, it shows us how to confront. It shows us how to work through peaceful discussions with each other and, and work things out and all that. It gives us all that. So, that's where we start in our relationships with one another. It's got to be. So the question is, are we devoted to doctrine? And I encourage you to look to your Bible when you have conflict. Uh, to look to your Bible to see how you can love your kids more and how you can love your parents more and how you can work through relationships. You can look up all those things. And if you aren't reading your Bible, we've got a little thing called the Daily Bread. It's free. You can pick it up as you go out, a little booklet, and you can read through one chapter a day. It's very brief. takes you maybe 10, 15 minutes and gets you started in that journey. Now, the second thing, though, it's all based on the Bible, but he goes on to say that they were united in their devotion to Jesus and to one another. And the key word is fellowship here, that they were having fellowship with one another. The Greek word is koinonia. And a friend of mine says that fellowship, in his definition is, uh, in church, is coffee and donuts. We don't have donuts, so we're only halfway here today. I don't think so. Sometimes I sneak them in for the kids. I always go and check. Um, but the basic idea is that we're having relationship with each other, and it actually ties in pretty well, because one of the primary ways that we relate to each other is through what? Eating, right? Through food. That's a great way, and it's a, it's a great way to do it. Um, I... I went out last night with my aunt and uncle took us out. We had a great time. And it's always fun to get together with friends and family and just sit and talk. It says they were breaking bread together. 
Breaking bread means eating a meal, but it was also means taking communion. So the question is, are they talking about breaking bread like having a meal together, or are they talking about taking the Lord's Supper together? Which are they talking about? Doesn't say. But if we look at the chapters before and, be- and after, they were doing both. And so basically, we should be spending time eating meals with each other. We should be spending time. They were, just coming, they were going to church every day together. We should be spending time in each other's homes, hanging out with each other, eating meals together, and taking communion together as we did at Good Friday just a couple days ago. That's stuff that we should do. We should just enjoy each other. Now, when you're having fellowship with each other, does that mean you've got to be super spiritual? You can talk only about God, and that's the most important thing? The Bible doesn't say that. We went through the book of Ecclesiastes, and it was pretty clear that you're supposed to just enjoy life. There is really, really no topic that you can't talk about. If you're walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're looking at it through his lens and you have a pure heart, you can talk about pretty much anything and just enjoy it. And God can be in that situation and that conversation as deeply as he is when you're in a more spiritual conversation. You know, we, we tend to separate those things. It's all part of what God's doing. He's working in everything in life. But at the same time, when you have those kinds of relationships, you will ultimately talk about God and often find yourself praying together. That's fellowship. It just should happen naturally. It should flow in our relationships with one another. Uh, We have been emphasizing prayer lately. And I encourage you that if you have a prayer, we have prayer cards in the back that you can fill out for a prayer request and put in the offering box. But also Randy and Randy Carter and Meg Cole are going to be over here um, by our lovely... I guess by our lovely wall there, um, the, the little, we, we've decorated this little opening here, the little silver thing, whatever that is, the door to the uh, cafeteria. And they'll be standing over in that area. And if you want to pray, just go over and talk to them. And they'd love to pray with you. And so the question we have here is, uh, are we devoted? Uh, do we are united in our devotion to Jesus and one another? And whether you are a follower of Christ or not, everybody is invited to get involved and be part of us. Uh, we have a program called the Core, where we train, we tell people about what we're doing. Um, people can get in small groups and just get involved and have a good time here. And encourage you, if you're visiting, to find a church where you can do that with. One of the things that we do every year, which is one of my favorite things, is we have a family retreat. And our family retreat, I'd say probably. I don't know, at least half of our people, if not the majority of our people, go to that family retreat. So we take the weekend off and churches up in the mountains. And we go up uh, to Miwok Village and we just, we hang out there. You know what we do there? We walk, we talk, we laugh, we cry, we eat big meals, we take communion. And the kids get so mixed around, they're so intertwined running around, I don't know who belongs to who anymore. (laughs) But it's because they all belong to each other. It's really cool to see, you know, people just with each other's kids just hanging out and and having a good time because that's what we are. We're a big family. It's not too early to sign up for that. That's going to be uh, June 8th through the 10th this year. And you can sign up online or you can catch Clifton or Mitch or myself and tell us you're interested and we'll sign you up. Um, The other thing here is is the, that they lived in awe of God's miracles, verse 43. Some of the stuff that they had happening is kind of like, wow, that doesn't happen to us. Well, they were the flagship church, so we do need to understand that. So they were setting the example for the future, and it was very important that they established themselves. So they had some pretty 
wild, amazing miracles happening. But do miracles still happen? I believe they do. I believe we shortchange them. I think there's things happening, simple things as well as dramatic things that are happening every day. I remember when last week we had our, our Palm Sunday program for Wagner, at the Wagner's Ranch, and we thought it was going to rain. It's supposed to rain all day. So what did we do? We prayed, and it didn't rain. So did we say, well, that nah, is just kind of coincidental. Or maybe God did that. Have you ever had somebody come into your life at just the right time? You guys are shaking your heads. They just told their story, and they both at the same time. It's just like both Clay and Laura both shook their heads at the same time because they came into each other's life at this juncture that she was talking about in their life. Have you ever had that happen? I mean, it's just amazing how God does that. And then you say, was that just coincidental? Or is there somebody, is there, there a supreme being that is orchestrating the events around me? And you begin to see those things. We had a person this week who was losing their eyesight, and we prayed for them. And the eye just healed. It's getting better still. It's not out of the woods, but it's amazing. So we see things like that happen. But here's the greatest thing with, with miracles is the transformation of lives. That's the greatest miracle. We're back to the beginning. That's the greatest miracle is when a person's life changes. And you see the process. Let me tell you a great story. I got permission she didn't really get much of a choice, but I, I did get permission from her today as we started. Janet um, goes to our church, and Janet has a great story. She was in Los Angeles and moved to Tracy. One day, she, morning, she picked up her computer, and she opened it up, and it said Mountain View Church. And it was all about Mountain View Church. Where did that come from? So she thought, I better go there and see what this is about. So she came to visit our church all the way from Tracy, which is like a good half hour away, 40 minutes away. She came over here, came and started coming to our church. And she loved the music. And the messages were intriguing. The people were so nice to her. She kept coming. Months passed. And she gave her life to Jesus Christ. She's going to be baptized last week with Alicia, but wasn't able to because she had a family function. She had to, but she will later. But do you understand what I'm saying? That, that's amazing. So God works in so many amazing ways that we just don't even consider. So are you experiencing miracles in your life? Are you seeing God work in your life in various ways? And, and if we pay attention, we will. Understand that miracles are not in conflict with science. That's a, a common misunderstanding. A miracle is when science can't explain it. And scientists acknowledge that. I know science, people have scientific background in the medical field that are here today that would all say, yeah, I mean... We can explain things, but when we can't, God is intervening in a supernatural way. That's a miracle. So that's what we look for. One person disagreed with me, but I think everybody else is okay with this. Okay, put a little West and my buddy too. Um, uh, okay, well, he needs to get some eggs, I think. Um, so the other thing to think about with miracles is think about how God has transformed your life. We had the story that I gave of Janet. We had Laura's story today. Each of you have a story. And today's a great day to reflect on what has God done in your life? And if you don't know Jesus, how is he tugging on your heart? What is he pulling at you? What are the questions you need to ask? What's he doing in your life? They, the next thing in verses 44 through 46a, we see that they enjoyed taking care of each other. They took everything they had and they pulled it all together, pulled it all together and they took care of each other and gave each other what they had. Very communal. I love this. It's really beautiful, isn't it, how they did that? In fact, what we're going to do today is we've decided to discard our, um, 
our offering boxes. We're going to have 10-gallon trash cans as you exit today. It's a good Sunday. If you can empty your pockets, um, <laughs> nice clothing or shoes, that would really be awesome. You think I'm joking. <laughs> no, I am, because somebody's starting to take their shoes off, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of a crazy thought. What were they thinking? Um, but here's the way to understand it. They were pilgrims who had gone for the Passover and Pentecost. And during that time, they'd given their life to Christ. Jerusalem, from the ancient records, ran about 20,000 people. But during the holidays, it could swell up well over 100,000. And so what happened is they didn't go home. They stayed. Men, women, and children, there were 10,000 of them probably and growing. About half the population of Jerusalem when everybody left. And now there's no jobs. And there's no way to take care of them. The object was for them to get trained and move on. They didn't do that very quickly. That's another story. But they did need the immediate need of being taken care of. And so they pulled their resources. It was the only way they could under those circumstances. So what we have to say is that we all have various circumstances. We're in different places and the needs are different. But the basic principle is we take care of each other. We take care of our material needs. In our church, one of the things that we do is we say we're not a social service, but Family Support Network, which is just over here, does a great job. And we actually give money to them. And when people have needs, we send them to them because they're the experts and they'll help them and we finance them to help them to help others. So that's, that's something that we do. But we also help people in-house and special needs and our small groups help people. And then the money that comes to us is used to help transform lives, to save marriages, to give kids a foundation, to grow up into adulthood. Uh, it's there to take care of the different needs that people have you know, providing for marriages, you know, weddings and funerals and caring for people as their life ends. Just a variety of different things. And the money is also used for, you know, for other things too, like maybe getting a building one day. Um, by the way, that's a topic many of you know that we actually have been looking into property. And some have been, I, I trust many of you have been praying for that. And Mitch, you know, he's our, our you know, our technolo technological guru, he looked this property up and they actually have names for each of the properties. They actually have named them. And you know what they named this property that we're looking at, the two acres? Mountain View. So, I mean, is that like wild? Um, it's two acres. And then, so we, we put down our offer and they liked it. They, they're, it it's moving. So just keep praying. I mean, it just... Surprised it's gone as fast as it has. It's still far from over, but, um, but yeah, we're moving along. So you should be very excited about that. And uh, they were excited. I don't know the whole story yet, but apparently the mother um, knew the Lord and the family said she would love to have uh, her, her property belong to a church. So neat. God is at, that's just another example of God at work. We also have money that we use to save souls and save lives in places like Southeast Asia, um, Berlin, Cuba, and more recently Togo in Africa. So those are, those are things to be excited about. You guys, do you realize that in our giving, we're changing the world? In little, little Oakdale, we're having an international impact that's saving people's lives and souls because of our generosity. And that's, that's what happens when we give and when we, uh, when we give generously like that. So do we enjoy taking care of each other? Uh, there's, another, there's another process of this. It's just spending time with each other. Again, 
we take care of each other by taking care of each other's needs. And one thing to warn you about, though, is sometimes you can get so caught up in relationships with people that you forget other people that are coming in. That's what happens. And that's a real easy way to fall off the horse. So keep on the horse and make sure you're always friendly to those people around you and not just hanging out with your own pals because that's a good thing can go bad because we're just having so much fun together, right? So that's a balance. So make sure that we're loving one another, but loving others too, and give generously. You know what? The Bible actually, the, the recommendation, it's not like a command, but the Bible says what you really ought to be doing is giving 10% of your income. That's what you should shoot for. That's like, are you kidding me? But all of a sudden, when you think about what we're accomplishing right now, what if everybody was given 10%? What would happen? I mean, just start thinking about what could happen in the world for good as people really contribute. So they were given and taking care of each other, and those are neat ideas. Uh, finally, in the last few verses, it brings us full circle. And it tells us again that people were coming to the church. And why were they coming? They were coming primarily primarily because they saw lives change. They were becoming because they saw transformation. They were becoming because all the things we talked about were happening at that time. Billy Graham recently passed away. And I did a sermon on Billy Graham. I'm going to give an illustration. I'm not going to keep giving illustrations on Billy Graham. I got to get back to Abraham Lincoln. But, no, Sharice is shaking her head, no, not Lincoln again. We have an ongoing thing, the two of us, on Lincoln. But she did send me some nice stuff on Lincoln recently, so that, I appreciated that. Uh, I'll get to back to using that. Um, but, but Billy Graham, I was, when I was doing the research, I ran across this article, and it just popped back in my mind when I was working on the sermon. And it was a very interesting article. These journalists interviewed a lady journalist who had interviewed... Billy Graham and the presidents to talk about their relationships with each other. It's a very interesting article. And what she said tied in very much in basically with everything we've said today. She said that the presidents looked to Billy Graham as a greater celebrity than they were. And they were in awe of the power that he seemed to exude. And yet when they met him in person, they found that he was very disarming and gentle. And when they'd ask him questions, he would always go to the Bible. He, he didn't take authority on his own. Everything always came from the Bible. And they were fascinated by that. And then, you know, he, he had, you know, he was just friendly and kind to them. And he had relationships with people. They, they observed his relationships with others. He would have family and friends with him. You know, his family became friends with some of their family. And there are two stories of Lyndon Johnson. Once he was Lyndon Johnson talking to him, and he said something, and his wife Ruth kicked him in the shin <laughs> under the table. And that was a funny story. And, um, and they, they just, you know, they saw how much fun they had together and how much they teased and played with each other. His friend Grady Wilson was quite a character, and he, was, he would tell these stories. And Lyndon Johnson called in his secretary and said, I want to get these stories written down. They're hysterical. So he saw the relationship that Billy Graham had with others. They saw that whenever he would talk with them and others, he would almost always go into prayer. In fact, the journalist said, the one journalist who was interviewing the other journalist said, I heard that he did something that I guess really is not considered, you know, what you're, he kind of crossed the boundaries with you because in the time you were interviewing him, he stopped you and prayed with you. And she said he did, and in most people that would be awkward, but he said it was just so natural for him the way he talked that it just, we just all prayed. 
Um, and then they saw that he would give generously to different causes through his organization. So he's seeing all these different things that we're talking about today. And they saw the miracle of his ministry. I, that's, you know, you say, I've never seen a miracle. Have, did you ever go to Billy Graham um, crusade then? Did you ever sit with 80,000 people and see like 10,000 walk down when he gave a call? How in the world did that happen? I, I, don't, I don't understand that. That just, you know, I could see people leaving when I did that, but <laughs> to actually see them coming down in those numbers, that was a miracle. So they saw that miracle. And you know what they did when they saw these things is they would come to him and say, will I ever see my parents again? That was a question he got from presidents. How do I know I'm going to heaven? Is it okay for me to be in this war? What does God think about it? And he would go to the Bible and he would just walk through them, this with them. And he would tell them if they didn't know the Lord, what we say, basically in general, he'd say that you need to admit that you're a sinner in need of a savior. You need to believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. You need to choose to follow Jesus Christ and put your faith in him alone. If you haven't done that, what better day to do that on Christmas, on Easter? So come and wait, don't wait till Christmas. <laughs> come today and talk to us. And we'd love to talk to you about that, that wonderful topic. It's an incredible story that he lived that out individually. But you know what? I believe there are people here today that are living that same thing out in their lives. They're just not under the spotlight but they're doing all the things that we talked about in their relationships with other people, their involvement with church and fellowship and their friendship and going to the Bible for everything and well, everything, you know, seeing miracles and they're seeing those things happen and they're influencing the lives of the people around them. And if that's not happening, I encourage you uh, to trust in God that that might happen more in your life today. You know, as I was doing this on Billy Graham, I couldn't get something out of my mind that I thought this is, a good, this is a good way to wrap this up because Billy Graham, there's a focus. Of course, his focus was always on the resurrection. And I saw this riveting, I saw this riveting documentary on him. And at the end, they did this subliminal messaging. You know how they do that? They did it very well. What they did is at the end, while they were showing the credits, they were playing music and they were playing old messages of Billy Graham, his young voice piping in like a sentence here, a sentence there, a message there, and they just kept going back. But what they did is as they blacked it out, they had his voice one more time. And it worked because I was paying attention. Usually you turn it off at that point, but I was just sitting there and, you know, I think probably had to do the dishes or something. So I was just sitting there watching it and all of a sudden they said this and, and I couldn't get it out of my mind. I woke up the next couple of days thinking about it. I thought, they, I know what these guys did. They did this to me. You know, I'm, I'm hearing this. But I thought, this is an important message. This is, this is what it's all about. Um, this is why it all works. And this voice, imagine this voice in the past saying this. Billy Graham said this. He said, I'm not talking about a dead man. I'm talking about the living Christ. He's alive, I tell you. He's alive. Isn't that the message? That's what this all revolves around today. He's alive. He's here and he's with us. And so all these things become reality because he's real. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are alive. 
I thank you that you are alive and because you're alive, people's lives are transformed. There's no other explanation. I thank you that in their transformation, that the world has been transformed for good every time they've really aligned themselves with you. I pray for forgiveness for the times that we haven't and I'm ashamed of my own life and even some of my brothers and sisters and how we've behaved at times. But despite our faults, when we've lived like Jesus, when we've trusted and aligned ourselves with Jesus, the results have been amazing. Lord, we pray that that would be true with Mountain View Church. And we pray for anybody that doesn't yet know you, that today they could join your family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.